0: Episode 18 of Top Turtle MMA is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Sisu Mouthguards is the best mouthguard in the history of the universe if you do any athletic activity you are going to want to get a sisu mouthguard if you do high impact sports if you do other team sports if you do youth sports you can go on over to sisuguard.com and check out what kind would be best for you mma star Tarek
1: safendine uses a sisu mouthguard so why wouldn't you use one dave hey listen if it's good enough for Tarek Safadine, it's good enough for me if i had to think of three adjectives to describe a sisu mouthguard i don't know the first things that would come to mind Mind are breathable, durable, uh, lightweight. Yeah, those are the three that come to my mind. What more needs to be said? Absolutely nothing. Sisu mouthguards brings you Top Turtle episode eighteen. Thanks for listening. We are rolling. This is Top Turtle MMA. I am David Tremonti. I am joined as always by the co-editor of MMAManifesto.com. Daniel Gumby Vreeland, we thank you so much for getting us in your eardrums. However, it is you do that, we of course are available on all your basic podcast streaming apps and websites and whatnot. Uh, Tune in, Stitcher, SoundClouds, iTunes, basically anywhere a podcast can be streamed, you can find us there. You can email us both fan mail and hate mail. We're accepting both currently. TopTurtleMMA at gmail.com. And you know what? If you're one of those people who likes the Twitter, we're at TopTurtleMMA. Go ahead. Give us a follow. Anything else I got to say there, Gumby?
0: Yeah, you're going to want to check out the uh, mothership, so to speak, at MMA-Manifesto.com. You can get all of the latest musings in the MMA world uh, right there. And you can also follow me at Gumby Vreeland, V-R-E-E-L-A-N-D, on Twitter, uh, if you like my spin on things better than the show's.
1: You know, I actually got to say, Gumby, we got a piece of fan mail the other day, and I really appreciate it. I appreciate any time someone takes the time to write us. Uh, whether it be love or hate but this piece of fan mail really connected with me and what this uh, particular fan said I'm not sure where they're from Uh, John was the fella's name I don't know if I should give a last name or not I don't really know if I'm outing him um, as being an MMA fan maybe he's a closet MMA fan maybe he doesn't (laughs) want people to know he's an MMA fan so anyway I won't say his last name but what John said was he appreciates that we cut out all the flutter is that a word uh, yeah, I, I, I'm an English teacher. I'd say flutter is a word. Flutter is a word, right? And he said that uh, we just get right to the point.
0: Yeah, and and I take pride in that too. Yeah, I, I like to think that we get right to it. Uh, although we're we're filling a little space right now. Yeah, we're filling space <laughs> right
1: now. I mean, this is getting into like a meta conversation that we don't take up a lot of the listeners' time with bullshit. We get right to the news, right to the opinion, right to the breakdown, right to the interview. Yeah,
0: we're we're fight first. We we're, we think mostly about the fights, and and the other stuff is kind of uh, a little bit get, extra. For no us. one gives a fuck. Like, no, I don't.
1: And you know, like I'm not gonna start talking about what my day was like.
0: Yeah, no, that that's uh, that's for a different kind of podcast for sure i know exactly the type you're talking about too. you know
1: actually when i look it up flutter is not really used correctly it's uh fly unsteadily or hover by flapping the wings quickly and lightly i say i'd say we
0: flutter around you could flutter around with words too it's a metaphorical flutter
1: okay but we don't flutter with this we, fans we point.
0: don't flutter right yeah, okay. yeah exactly just want to be on the same page about that all right
1: <laughs> let's get to the news is conor mcgregor boxing uh, floyd mayweather
0: shit no god no uh, you know, instantly I saw that, and and I'm going to be real honest here too. I looked down on every single MMA news outlet who reported that as a possibility, um, and, and I'd be happy to just read you off a list of people who I saw posted it. I mean, BJPenn.com, uh, one of the well, ones they're I like mean, notorious. I mean, as... SureDog is one that you know, and I love SureDog for some things. Depending on you know what I'm trying to get, their their database for MMA fights is one of the best out there. You know these places that should be reputable sites, and it happens to everybody. Everybody's kind of gotten caught up in the clickbait revolution here, but every single one of them
1: announced it as if it was, like, happening tomorrow. Um, yeah, it's about how you present it. I mean, I'm, I, I go to the usual sites like Bloody Elbow, obviously com, Obviously MMA Manifesto.com. Obviously MMA-Manifesto.com, uh, MMA Junkie, all the normal sites. And I felt like, you know, most of them, from what I saw, were reporting that other people were reporting it, but 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 say to take it with a grain of salt, I mean, would you just devil's advocate not want your dog to report that it's out there? My my issue
0: with it is not necessarily that they're, they're reporting that that information is being pushed by somebody out there. It's the fact that their headlines all make it sound like it's fucking happening for sure, and then you click on it and it's like, uh, a rumor pushed along by The Sun, which anybody who listens to this in the UK can vouch for me. The Sun is not a reputable news outlet. And the fact that anybody took that at face value is hilarious to me. So as soon as I clicked it and saw that it was the Sun reporting it, I was like, "Are you shitting me? Yeah, you why would right any down. of these people even pick this up as something that's possible?" Um, Although to be fair, then Floyd did say a couple of days later
1: that he was the one who started the Floyd,
0: rumor. I mean, Floyd just wants to be in the news, man. I mean, like, it, it, and it makes it even less reputable to me that Floyd started the rumor because Floyd has no idea what a UFC contract looks like. He he owns his own boxing promotion. He's fixed all of his own boxing matches so that he can fight who he wants and when he wants and how much he's going to make and this and that. A UFC contract is much different than a boxing contract. They have their fighters set so that they can't do shit like that. So that they can protect their brand. The UFC. Absolutely, yeah. So that they can protect their brand. You know, they stop people from having kickboxing matches. They stop people from doing this and from doing that. And they do it so that they can protect their brand. So for him to spread that rumor or to try to incite Conor McGregor and if he was trying to take bait into that, he can't even take the bait if he wanted to.
1: So, you know, I think it's really interesting. I wonder if it would Conor. Okay, how do I want to say this? Conor and the whole UFC 200 fallout made Conor, I believe, a bigger star. Because I had people at work coming up to me who were non-UFC fans asking what happened with Conor and yeah. UFC 200. And then I think did Floyd and his people kind of pick up on the buzz that was generated there? So then they saw it's a way to keep his name kind of in the mix. But I guess my point being is Conor... Is in the past month a bigger star between the UFC 200 fallout and now rumors of boxing McGregor than he was, I guess, you know, uh, April 1st when all we knew was he was just training in Iceland for a match with Nate Diaz. Yeah,
0: I-, I would agree with that. He's like found a way to get his name back out there even after a loss, which is pretty impressive. Uh, he's but, a he's a marketing genius yeah, in a lot of he, ways. Yeah, he's really good, and hey, you gotta give it to Kavanaugh, too. John Kavanaugh, his coach, tweets out uh, wonderful Mayweather we're having here. <laughs> he's awesome. Uh, yeah, I love that guy. I mean, you know, not enough can be
1: said about John Kavanaugh. Awesome, dude. Um, Alright, so that was kind of the like, you know, what do you want to call that? The flutter of MMA news, <laughs> yeah, if we, you will. I, I say we coined that term. That, <laughs> that's ours now. Um, that was the flutter of MMA news. Here's the real MMA news that uh, I'm excited to talk to you about uh Alistair Overeem beat the shit out of your boy uh and I know you're very sad it was was painful
0: uh I will say that I thought uh Arlovsky showed a lot of really bright moments in that first round especially when he backed him down like 30 seconds into the fight and just unloaded on him I actually thought he had him in some trouble there um obviously like after our loss or uh Overeem came out of that it looked like maybe he wasn't in as much trouble. He was just covering it up rope-a-dope style. You are talking about to bit.
1: begin the fight when he backed him yeah, up against Yeah, backed the fence. him right up against yeah. the
0: fence. He landed a couple of body uppercuts. He threw some hooks that definitely, like, you know, they were glancing connections, partially blocked, partially hit the side of the head. Um, but I was really impressed by the way he backed him down and opened right up right away. Lots of aggression. Um, he knows Overeem's a slow starter, so it was really smart game plan. Um, he looked like he was going to get a takedown at one point in time. He wound up getting taken down instead. But um, you know, obviously, as a big Arlovsky fan, I'm going to you know talk about the bright spots here from Arlovsky too. But Overeem made me look silly. I mean, I picked against him, saying he hadn't been very consistent. And you know what? He looked just as good as he did against Dos Santos, if not better. Um, props to him. It, it looks like it's it's finally going to happen for Overeem. He's finally going to get that UFC title shot.
1: Yeah, and I think that's totally fair. I'm excited about it. It's now or never. They re signed him for a reason. They signed him to a big contract. I think just on paper, he gets about half a mil per fight. Um, you know, that's big money. And yeah. I think they want him to fight for that title. Yeah, you know, they I, invested in him for that reason. And,
0: and I think we're going to get to the, the fight breakdown from the to this weekend's card. But if Verdum wins, uh, it's actually a pretty interesting rematch because you've got to remember, Overeem's got to win over Verdum. Uh, So the fact that they might fight again is, is certainly an interesting one.
1: I hate to burst your bubble on Arlovsky, though. If we can just look at his return to the UFC and I know it's the heavyweight decision or the heavyweight division and anything could happen, but he came back and he got the split decision win over Brendan Schaub. Most people had Schaub actually winning that. Um, you know, the majority of the media did. I watched it, I thought Schaub won it. it is what it is. I can move past it. Bad decisions happen. Then he knocks out Antonio Silva. Hey, who hasn't knocked out Antonio Silva in the big in the heavyweight division? And then the crazy Fight with Travis Brown, which if you remember, Brown did have that one uh punch that stumbled Arlovsky. Arlovsky, yeah, Arlovsky was had him
0: stunned; He stunned him back. Yeah. Then it, he I'm, finished it.
1: Arlovsky was close to getting finished himself, and then he had a very just lackadaisical decision win over Frank Mir. And now it's two losses in a row. He lost to Stipe and he lost to Alistair, both TKOs, one you know, a minute into the first round against Stipe, this one early into the second round against Alistair. Obviously, they're more at the tops of the division than let's yeah. say. Frank yeah, Muir Antonio Silva.
0: Call me a fanboy making excuses here, but that's the current title challenger versus the next title challenger. Absolutely.
1: And I didn't mean I'm not here to like, you know, piss on your already said parade. I, <laughs> I just wanted to say I myself was never fully on board with this Arlovsky, you know, march to the title mm-hmm. path. I just think it is what it is. It's a heavyweight division. He'll probably come back and knock someone out. Yeah. But I'm not going to go crazy over it and think he's going to be a title challenger here. It's the same way I feel feel about Frank Mir. It's the same way I feel about Mark Hunt. Yeah. I, I, they're all capable of big moments. I don't view them as champions.
0: This this overeem loss for Arlovsky for me was the probably the end of my hope that he would get another one. You know, like I for agree. nostalgia purposes. Right. You know, Arlovski was the heavyweight champ when I started watching every single UFC card, you know, Mm -hmm. like I watched a lot before that. Um, but I wasn't the type of guy who never missed a card. Now I never miss a card. It doesn't matter. You know, if it's a fight pass in freaking Helsinki, Finland, I would still watch every single fight top to bottom. When I first started trying to watch every fight I could possibly get my eyes on, he was the heavyweight champ. So for nostalgia purposes, a piece of me wanted to see him get at least another shot at the belt, but that that loss right there – That pretty much put the nail in the coffin at him ever being a title challenger again. Yeah,
1: I totally understand, and I have a very similar, I guess, uh, nostalgic uh, feeling towards GSP because he was the guy that, you know, I was a fan. Listen, I used to go to Blockbuster in the early 90s, and I'd rent the early UFCs. Blockbuster. Special interest (laughs) section, baby. But, um, you know, and then I... Not special interest. It was always in special interest, and it was always the bottom shelf, like, buried. Like, Blockbuster was embarrassed that they even carried it. (laughs) But, um, you know, and then it went into the Dark Ages, and GSP is what's kind of brought me back, and that's when I started paying attention again. So I feel the same way. Like, if someone ever talked bad about GSP in front of me, yeah, I'd do. rip their face off. <laughs> All right, so anyway, um, with here's the other question I wanted to ask you. Ulster Overeem, uh, I agree with you. I'd like to see him fight for the title, but where do you land vis-a-vis if Kane beat Travis Brown at UFC 200, are you of the mindset, Gumby, that Kane and Overeem should fight? Do you give Kane an immediate title rematch? Because he's the former champion, yada, yada. So, Where do you land so here, on that?
0: Here's point? my stance on that one. So for me, Kane would have to decisively and emphatically beat Travis Brown. So, you know, I mean, he was going to get a rematch, but not in any impressive way. I mean, it was just a rematch because he had lost his title. Uh, after tapping out to me I think Overeem has done more to earn the shot I mean he just knocked out uh, Arlovsky and he knocked out Dos Santos I mean like he's really put himself on the map with two first and second round knockouts that really I mean against really name opponents whereas you know, Velazquez will have beaten Travis Brown, who is not as good as those other two. Right. Um, and, and, and if he doesn't do so emphatically, you know what I mean? If he doesn't come out and ground and pound him out in, you know, 55 seconds or something like that.
1: Ronda Rousey I, crying in the front row, sort of like, yeah, just and he impales Travis. Yeah. If he, I mean,
0: if he makes Travis Brown his bitch in like a minute and a half prison style, we'll talk about it. But if if he doesn't do that, I, I'm giving it to, to over him. And, and that's, you know, Said from a guy who just watched overim crush one of his heroes. No,
1: nah, I'm with you. And I agree, too. I, you know, Dana White said this uh, in the past, and I've brought it up on this podcast, that they're a fight promotion, but they're also a marketing company. And at the end of the day, how many marketing dollars have gone into cane fights that never even, you know, take place? Well, and,
0: and that's the other thing, too, that you're, you're mentioning there. So who's to say that Verdum, if he does, you know, or, or Stipe, whatever one you want, who's to say whoever wins that fight? doesn't have to just fight the first one of those two that's healthy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, say Stipe wins, you know, Stipe's never backed out of a fight, but, you know, Overeem has and Kane has. So, like, maybe it just comes down to which one's healthy.
1: You know what else I was thinking of? It popped into my head today, actually, randomly, when I was on the treadmill. And I was thinking of your boy, Big Ben Rothwell. And if you remember, before the loss to JDS here a month ago... Ben Rothwell was kind of in the title contention. He had won four in a row, a couple of impressive um, submissions there with the go-go choke. Uh, And now it's, you know, he kind of goes back uh, to the back of the pack in that top 10. But I was thinking about it for as thin as the heavyweight division is, Heavyweight division right now actually does feel like you're always one KO away from being back in title contention. Way away. You know, and it's like if Ben Rothwell could come back, I don't know, maybe Kane gets injured, Rothwell steps in, he beats Travis Brown at UFC 200. he's one win away. And now he's one win away again, right? And that's, I don't know, it's kind of fun actually.
0: Or, I mean, you could think about it if from the perspective of what if Travis Brown gets hurt? He pops in there. Right. And, right. You know, if
1: he stunned a- Kane avenges his loss to Kane. Yeah. A couple years you know ago. what?
0: You know, it's funny that you brought up Ben Rothwell's name too, because I thought you were going to ask me what to do with Arlovsky. And in my opinion, uh, a rematch with, with Ben Rothwell from their IFL days would certainly be a fun fight.
1: I'm into it. I'm yeah. Into it.
0: And I'd watch Arlotsky fight, you know, Roy Nelson for that matter too, you know, as a rematch fight um i'm into it but yeah there's still fun fights for him left too all
1: right so for the rest of the card and we don't have to go over every single thing i mean listen antonio silva gets knocked out again 16 <laughs> seconds though for the dutchman yeah well let me ask you this i know let's not play the he should retire game on antonio silva he Other should people, okay fair yeah what do you want <laughs> to do with stefan Struve?
0: uh you know so it's it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, i was trying to think of him too They've done a pretty shitty job at, at managing him. You know, they, it seems like he wins one fight and they stick him at the top. He gets beat. They stick him back down again. Then he goes right back. You know, he balances back and forth really, really quick. Uh, there's a guy who I was thinking would be a really good one for him to fight. If, uh, if Alexio Linick and many of you will not know the name Alexio Linick. Alexio Olenek fights in uh, South Dakota on that South Dakota fight card coming up. Uh,
1: which is headlined by Michael Chiesa oh, versus Tony Ferguson. What a freaking Just phenomenal. A tornado fight of me. violence. Yeah. Tornado I'm, warning in South Dakota for I that night. I love that fight. But
0: Alexio Linick is fighting on that card. Should he win, which he's fighting Daniel Olenek, um, so I think he'll win pretty easily. Should he win that one, I'd love to see him against uh, Alexio Linick because a uh, people don't know this about him, but Olinik has got like a pretty freaking phenomenal record recently. Um, I-, I believe he's only 1-0 in the UFC because he, he won his first fight or first
1: two fights. Can you spell Alexi inter- Olenek for the non-existent oh, intern? Uh,
0: Alexi Olenek. I know it's spelled a couple of different ways. Olenek is like O-L-E-Y-N-I-K or something like that. Yeah, the the
1: non-existent intern has it. Okay,
0: yeah. So I think he was in, in the the pretend intern can can go ahead and check this out. I think he was 1 and 0 or 2 and 0 and he had a big time away.
1: Yeah, so he beat Anthony Fratrie and Hamilton via neck crank. Yeah, then, it was
0: the sweet neck crank similar to the one that uh, Barnett uses in uh,
1: Oh, in, in Metamoris, Metamorris. And then uh, he knocked out Jared the Boar Show Rochalt, uh, and that was back in November of 2014. But, and we but let's talk about sense.
0: those two wins, though. Those are two pretty decent wins in the heavyweight division. And before that, he had a win against Krokop outside the
1: UFC. I was just going to say, yeah, beat Jeff Monson and Krokop outside the UFC. Look at the that for four, was a four-fight win streak. Uh, well, d- he, dating back to uh, 2012, he is on a 11-fight win streak yeah exactly
0: right like how have more people not talked about him well because he's been away for two years but and he's old right he's like 38 or something he is like that. 38 yeah, yeah he's 38 so uh, you know a good russian heavyweight um certainly could make noise and it would be fun too because he's a good grappling artist it would be fun to watch him fight somebody like Struve, and it would do a lot for Linux to to win that fight
1: all right, and then moving on, uh this was such an awesome matchup. Gunnar Nelson and Albert Tumanoff. I thought Tumanoff was going to win this fight. I thought, too. Yeah, I mean, he's looked like such a killer recently, and especially standing, I thought Tumanoff would get the better of Nelson. But Nelson put on his best performance and really... Two or three years, because, you know, taking away the win against Brandon Thatch, who hasn't looked that good, Nelson looked very lackadaisical against Rick Story in a decision loss uh, back in October of 2014, and then obviously got just out jiu would by Damian Maya. No shame in that, really. Uh, recently, but he comes back and he gets the rear naked choke in the second round on Albert Tumanoff at Gunnar Nelson. He's back.
0: Yeah, he's back. Uh, and I heard somebody, I won't even take credit for this, this, uh, fight call, but I heard somebody say, put him up against Neil, uh, Magny and, and that would be uh, a fun one for me. That's so tough because I like both those guys so much. Oh, I do too. But how much fun would that be? I mean, they both got fun styles, you know, both got beat by Demian Maia, it's, yeah, it's a fun one. That's sure. a good one. And, and I agree. He looked like he was back. That that looked like how I know Gunnar Nelson can fight. You
1: know what I think would be a fun fight? And maybe it would be a little bit too much like Big Brother to the rescue. I wouldn't mind seeing Gunnar Nelson versus Nate Diaz at 170. Ah, shit. Yeah, that would be good. Or what about Gunnar Nelson versus Nick Diaz at 170? E- either Diaz, brother. that would, <laughs> would be fun. Yeah, yeah. What about uh, Gunnar Nelson versus... The loser of see actually you know what I'm probably, you were gonna say the loser of Wonder Boy I was ha- yeah. yeah I, was I, I knew that.
0: that for some reason because I was thinking the same
1: thing. yeah it'd be an interesting stylistic matchup with Gunner versus Wonder Boy if Wonder Boy were to lose and then obviously Rory but Rory might be in Bellator at that point but I just want to say that I don't think Gunner's ready for that like top five opponent just he, yet he needs another one yeah or two, which one... is why I thought
0: Magny was a great tag right. Right.
1: So anyway, exciting stuff. And then I think Tumanoff will be back in a strong way. I don't. You know, is Tumanoff a future 170 champion? Uh, we'll see where he goes from here. But
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't write him off due to one loss. I mean, that's his first UFC loss.
1: I think. It's, I think he debuted to a UFC loss and then uh, reeled really? off four wins in a row. Oh, the, I, that, that could be right. Um, then yeah, the internal at,
0: You know, everybody. Gets one of those losses once in a while. That doesn't disqualify him from ever winning. No, out. and at oh,
1: 170 yeah. pounds, I mean, you know, that yeah. division is ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, actually, yeah, he debuted to a loss but then reeled off five wins in a row. So, he's 5-2 and two in the UFC. That, I mean, that's legit. No shame in that. All right, and then the other thing from that card was Jermaine Durandamy. The uh, hometown, <laughs> she looked great. 135 yeah. pound, women's bantamweight. Um, I love the
0: call-out, too. Do you hear
1: the call no, out? No, who'd she call out?
0: Uh, afterwards in an interview, uh, she said she'd love to fight Cyborg with a win. That'd be great. Yeah. and, and like, I mean,
1: until Cyborg takes her down, I'd love to see the standing exchanges. Yeah,
0: and if Cyborg's willing to stand with her, that would certainly be a fun fight. Uh yeah, if cyborg took her down, I mean yeah, yeah. she's game over. Durand I mean, has lost fights in the UFC because, because of, that. of that because right. she got bodied up. She's yeah. a fun striker though. She's a
1: fun striker. Absolutely. Um, and then the other one I wanted to talk about was and you and I were kind of texting back and forth like a couple of girls about it, which was Chris Wade, kind of a disappointing performance uh versus Hobby Love. You know he had that kick that looked like it was oh, going to end it so in the fun. second round. <laughs> Um, but then you saw two problems with Chris Wade and I think uh you know I think we both identified what they are one cardio and two in some of those grappling exchanges um or just even submission attacks yeah I think he would uh, he's from Long Island I don't know maybe take the train into henzos once or twice a week yeah my my
0: worry about him originally was that he had not faced an elite level grappler you know we talked about who is the best opponent chris wade had we came up with Mehdi Bogdad. right um who, who's a legitimate fighter but he's certainly not a top of the division fighter so when we outlined him as like one of the best people he's fought instantly my first thought is his grappling's never been tested um so when you fight somebody like hobby yeah i mean his grappling which is supposed to be his strength, needs to grow leaps and bounds before he's anywhere close to being a contender in that division.
1: You know, I normally don't like to spend this much time on an entire card, but, but you're going to
0: talk about Magnus Sedinblad, aren't you?
1: Well, you just read my mind, Miss <laughs> yeah. Cleo. Uh, Magnus Sedenblad, uh I think he's the Swedish uh, striker, right? He's Is he's from Sweden? I'm pretty sure he's Swedish. Yeah, he's Swedish. Yeah. Um, he is now 4-0 in the UFC. We didn't see him in 2014. I wrote about him in my underrated streak column on MMA-manifesto.com. Now 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 he reeled off his fourth win with a TKO in the second round over Gareth McClellan, tough guy out of South Africa, former rugby player props to him. But Sedinblad to me is someone to keep your eye on. I think
0: he's only one fight away from being in serious contention at the top of that division. I think he might be a top 15 guy already with that win. Um, pair him with somebody who's up there i mean you know 185 is not a deep division right now
1: either it's time to see him with a step up in competition yeah
0: i'd love to see him fight one of the bigger names in that division
1: um and then the other two other standouts just to mention here before we wrap up was josh emmett uh the team alpha male fighter short notice fight. short notice fight great performance got a split decision win over john tuck he had some he had some tj dillashaw-esque head movement too. yeah very impressed with him he also so the nasty uh, finger injury, if you saw that. Yeah, that was gross. Finger exploded, uh, like something out of the Hurt Locker movie. I like that the movie. ref came over and was like, "Grenade in his hand." Like,
0: yeah, the ref went over and asked him to see it. He told him no and kept fighting. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh,
1: and then the last performance we have to just mention here was the Gooch, uh, Kyoji Hiraguchi no. defeated Neil Siri via decision right
0: at the top of the division he, again. Again, right? Instantly. It's
1: like him and Benavides. Has he fought Benavides?
0: If he hasn't...
1: Let's see here.
0: Might as well line it up, because both neither of them are going to beat Just Mighty line
1: Mouse. Just right, line it up for the guy who probably shouldn't face Mighty Mouse, but there's no one else left. <laughs> Hi- Hiraguchi and Benavidez. Give him an interim title to make him
0: feel better. We, I love it. We seem it. to pass out interim titles like they're Halloween candy nowadays. It's
1: like there can now be the Demetrius Johnson title and the interim 125-pound title. Yeah. I like that. Um. All right, so now let's move on to this coming weekend, because we have a... fight card to look forward to. I would
0: argue it's the best card coming up, period. Yes. Not best except for 200, not the best except for 199, not the best pay-per-view card. The best in the near foreseeable future.
1: Get your gambling uh, slip sheets out because we're going to go over the main card in detail right now. We, of course, are talking about UFC 198 taking place in Curitiba, Brazil, this Saturday, May 14th. And we'll start with the headliner, a fight I know you're excited about. I'm also excited about. It's for the goddamn heavyweight championship, and it's Fabricio Verdum defending against Stipe Miocic. How excited are you for this fight?
0: I'm really excited, mostly because I I just know... And if you follow him on social media, if you ever seen an interview with him, Steve, a is one of the really great guys in MMA. He's super nice. He's a firefighter. He's a firefighter. He does like lots of, you know, work around his community and stuff like that. He's just like an overall stellar human being, uh, and it's really great to see him get what he's been so close to for so long, a UFC title shot.
1: So you mentioned Miocic. He's coming off a two-fight win streak. He beat Mark Hunt via TKO, a real beatdown, actually. It took place over five rounds, somewhat tough to watch. That was back in May of 2015. Came back and beat uh, Andre Arlovsky, your boy, back in January, first round uh, TKO, and that's what got him the title shot. If you recall, he was actually willing to step in on short notice when the Cain Velasquez-Verdum matchup got canceled on Super Bowl weekend. The whole fight got scrapped when Fabricio turned out to be injured, and that's what brings us to UFC 198. Uh, Verdum, on the other hand, is coming off a win over a guy by the name of Cain Velasquez, the former king of the heavyweight division. It was a guillotine choke in the third round. The usual cardio machine of Cain Velasquez gassed out in elevation at Mexico City. Uh, Before that, he beat Mark Hunt for the interim title, also in Mexico City, with a TKO in the second round. And going back to April of 2014, he beat Travis Brown. He is on a six-fight win streak in the UFC. His last loss was to Alistair Overeem in Strikeforce. So when you actually have to put pen to paper, gun to your head, who do you have in this?
0: This this is razor close. Uh, the interesting thing for me is when I'm trying to draw a pass to victory. That's, that's like how I try to make my picks. Um, and when you think about Verdum... Uh, Verdum's most recent past the victories is he's been really working on his Muay Thai at Kings MMA. Uh, he looks, his Muay Thai looks so much better he, working in his kickboxing, head kicks, knees, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and what he does is he frustrates you with that until you shoot. And when you shoot, you run into one of the best jujitsu games in the history of the heavyweight division. Him and
1: Frank Mir. It's Him, one of those. Two. It's one
0: of those two. Right. So, uh, and when you consider the fact that he tapped out, you know, Fedor Emelianenko, um, you you have to almost want to put him at number 1 uh but if he's not number 1 he's number 2 so when when i think about this you know I, my gut says pick Verdum. uh and the the reason is because he's a little bit longer than Miochic. he fights with the the muay thai which keeps a little bit distance but you know what the one thing i will say stipe has got going for him is that he's power. Not, he's got power and he's not going to shoot right he is not going to tango with with Verdum on the ground and I don't think Verdum can get him down. So what makes this even more interesting is I think this is a fight that's going to take place nearly hundred percent on the feet. And this is a razor close fight as far as boxing versus kickboxing or boxing versus Muay Thai or whatever you want to call it. Their standup games are very close. Uh, And I think it at least makes Stipe an interesting pick. I'm I will go with Verdum just because he's looked so good recently But Stipe is a very, very close fighter. As long as he employs his game plan, you're going to have... A hell of a fight.
1: And anything can happen in the heavyweight division when so much power is involved in those fists. In Vegas, uh, most sports books, Verdum, the minus-150 favorite. Stipe, about a plus-130 dog. Yeah, so
0: that's barely a dog for a title challenger. And
1: you also have to figure, too, much like in the NFL, the home team typically gets spotted three points because they're the home team when it comes to odds. And this is down in Brazil. Yeah, that's and, a tough... And he's still
0: that close. And on the... he's
1: still that close. So I—
0: They, they know— they know how close
1: this fight I, is. I have to agree 100% with you. Gun to my head. Yeah, I'll go for Doom. It's in Brazil. My, my heart doesn't want to pick
0: for Doom I, Exactly.
1: I feel, you know, Stipe has some momentum here. I feel like this could be his time. Um, but I don't know. I, it's it's interesting, it, right? It's
0: certainly interesting. Like you said, gun to the head, uh, pick for Doom. But if you want to pick with your heart, this is a steep a pick because uh, he's definitely got the pass. All right,
1: so in the co-main event, we have a guy by the name of Vitor, the Phenom Belfort, taking on Ronaldo uh, Jacare Souza. Uh, Vitor Belfort is coming off a win over Dan Henderson, who's uh, I don't know seventy-five years old. Before that, a loss to Chris Weidman in a title fight back in May of 2015, and then you'd have to go back to November of 2013. He beat oh seventy. 3-year-old Dan Henderson. So he is 2 and 1 in the UFC in his last 3 in the UFC, but here's what's most important about that. He's 2 and 1 off TRT. This is no longer TRT. Belfort, that's a different fighter.
0: Uh, And and he looks like a different fighter, too.
1: Sousa, on the other hand, is coming off a loss to Yoel Romero. Uh, Not a good performance from him. It was a split decision loss. Some people I thought he won. I kind of thought he did, too. But at the same time, it was a bad performance by really both of them. So who gives a fuck? Before that, he beat a short notice Chris Camozzi via armbar. Submissions are a specialty. And going back even further to September of 2014, guillotine choke Gagar He is 2-1 and in his last three. I am picking Souza here. Who are you picking? Yeah,
0: Jacare by a mile. Um, You know, the the really awesome thing about when Jacare came to the UFC is he kind of reinvented himself. Um, You know, he was a guy who pretty much relied on taking you down and submitting you. Uh, And while he still has that part to his game, I mean, submitting Gegard Mousasi is amazing. Um, But while he still has that part to his game, he's throwing bombs now, too. Um, and I don't think he'll necessarily stand and trade with Vitor Belfort, but I, you know, I even like his chances standing and trading with Vitor Belfort. I think he could knock Belfort out um, if he chose to fight that way. But I'm gonna say he keeps him on the ground. He's gonna submit Vitor Belfort, and then he's gonna do so violently too. Um, his grappling is on another level.
1: No objections here. Uh, we will move on, and this is the third fight from the top of the card, and it is a gangbusters fight. Oh, I'm very excited about it. This you is have so good. the legend Anderson, the Spider Silva, facing Prime Time Uriah Hall guy who was compared to Anderson Silva when he was on the ultimate fighter show Jones versus Son in season 17 Uriah Hall up and down performances in the UFC. He's two and one in his last three, uh, TKO'd first round Olawale Bangbos, who was coming in on a short notice fight back in August of 2015. Followed that up a month later with a flying knee TKO to Gegard Musasi. Followed it up with punches on the ground. Very impressive after losing the first round. And then he lost to Robert Whitaker in November uh, by decision, but that was down in Australia. Possibly a tough fight to go all the way down there. Uh, so 2 and 1 in his last three. Again, an up and down career. Anderson Silva, on the other hand um, probably don't need to remind our loyal listeners of what's happened to him, but here you go. He just lost to Michael Bisping in February. Um, you know, I, I had Bisping winning the fight. I thought his output won him the fight. There were some moments there for Silva, a knee at the end of the third round that dropped Bisping some ref confusion. I think Silva played it up by jumping on the fence, pretending like he won sort of a veteran move to try to coax the referee into saying that Bisping was unable to continue. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I thought Bisping. Look better. We both agreed on the show following that that Silva looked trigger shy. It'll be interesting to see if he can come back and not look trigger shy. But again, going back further, January of 2015, after a year off due to a brutal ankle injury. Um, he beat Nick Diaz via decision. Of course, it was a no contest overturned by the Knack because he uh, popped for sexual enhancement drugs. And then before that, he lost to Chris Weidman in one of the most brutal uh, injuries ever recorded on tape in sports. It was in the second round as Weidman checked a kick. So uh, And going back even further, lost to Weidman after clowning around. Uh, In the second round, July of 2013, when he lost his title, uh, he got knocked out. So he is actually uh, 0-3 and a no contest in his last four. Yeah, crazy to think
0: about once a guy who we we talked about pretty unabashedly as the best in the world. Uh, When I break this fight down, though, uh, it it comes down to me thinking about how they looked in those fights rather than that record. Because, I mean, if you think about—and I said it on the show right after the fight— If you watch Anderson Silva versus Michael Bisping and you can look at me in the face and tell me that Michael Bisping is a better fighter, I don't want to talk to you about MMA anymore. Because if you really truly believed after that fight that Michael Bisping is better than Anderson Silva in MMA, you're wrong, okay? Because Michael Bisping, don't get me wrong, did deserve that win, but Anderson Silva is definitely far better. If Anderson Silva just turned it on for five rounds, Bisping would have been sitting in a pile on the corner of the cage, on the same token, you turn around and look at Uriah Hall, his big signature win is Gegard Mousasi. He was getting worked in that fight until he threw that spinning kick that landed on Mousasi's neck or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so his signature win, he looked terrible in all of the losses that, that Anderson looked at. You could have looked at and been like, yeah, but if you turned it on. Right. So, I mean, that's what you wind up thinking about in this fight. Does he turn it on? If he turns it on, comes balls to the wall, puts it on on Uriah Hall, he's going to put it on Uriah Hall. Uriah Hall is not the same fighter as Anderson Silva is. But you almost have to watch with like this baited caution because you know that there's a good chance he doesn't turn it on.
1: You know, I failed to mention what the odds were for Jacare and Belfort. I'll do so now. <laughs> Jacare is a minus three hundred favorite. Yeah, I uh, figured. Then Belfort a plus two fifty dog. And now I will tell you, Anderson Silva is a minus one forty favorite to Uriah Hall, a very slight underdog at plus one ten, plus one twenty in some sports books. I, I so I think your breakdown was perfect. Um, you have to just, you know, note that Silva's look trigger-shy, he's looked different, he's 41 years old, and Uriah Hall is capable of some very compelling violence yep. that could be unleashed in the form of a spin kick, a spinning elbow, something it's weird there. that could just catch Silva. Um, And I have to say, I can see it in my mind's eye now, I can see Uriah Hall unseating the the king in his hometown of Curitiba, Brazil. We're gonna go crazy and say this is it. This is the Uriah Hall we've been waiting for. He's finally broken out. And you know what's gonna
0: happen? He's gonna get worked by somebody. He's he gonna yeah.
1: He's gonna lose his next fight. Yeah. And it, so
0: he'll, he'll fight freaking Jacare in the number
1: one contender's fight and just get beasted. Exactly. <laughs> so I I could just say I could see Uriah Hall on this night. Much like you said, is Bisping the better fighter than Silva? No, he is not. But he was on that night. I can see that maybe Uriah Hall will be the better fighter this Saturday night.
0: Uh, Or at least the better judge's scorecard. Because I won't even say Bisping was the better fighter that night. He was the better judge's scorecard. That
1: is one other thing to consider, that this is a three-round fight. So, you know, how that might change things. You never uh, know. You never know. You just have to win two out of the first three rounds, and you've won the fight. True story. So, we will move on to this just sick, sick card. And you have uh, the debut of someone you may have heard of before Gumby. Her name is Christiane Justino Cyborg, the female cyborg. She will finally be making her UFC debut after much ballyhoo, after much hype. And she's fighting um, someone from what they call the Scrap Pack. She's with the Cesar Gracie fight team. She's basically a Diaz she's sister. A f- she's a fe-
0: female Diaz. She's
1: a female Diaz, a female. She, you know,
0: she kind of fights like him too. Doesn't she? Yes. Yeah, she she's does. she got that. Like it, it's not a Stockton slap, but it's like a, you know, it, a- a, it's a, that range, a different version of it. It's yeah. that
1: rangy boxer kind of yeah. like, I'm going to tap you a th- few hundred times, almost like drops of water. Absolutely. And hopefully it's going to, you know, break the dam open. Drops of water, fill the bucket, right? Ex- exactly. Um, so Leslie Smith uh, is coming off a win over Rin Nakai. Before that, a loss to Jessica I, which was a TKO in the second round, and beat Jasmine Duke before that via TKO. She is two and one in her last three. She also has a loss to Sarah Kaufman on her UFC resume, two and two in the UFC total. Cyborg has been fighting in Invicta. She is coming off—I don't know—just five murders in a row. Uh, she basically just beats everyone in the first round. Looks like it, a killer. And some decent names in there too: uh, Daria Igbramova, Faith Van Duin, Charmaine Tweet, Marlise Cohen. Uh, who's Mar- Marlies Cohen is, is pretty
0: legit. She's fighting, fighting the for the Bellator this weekend. Yeah, and which is know, not a title fight anymore. Awkwardly. Uh, um,
1: and then of course uh, just destroyed Gina Carano, the original uh female star of women's MMA uh so yeah who you got I, I mean I'm obviously I'm
0: gonna go with cyborg here sure uh, I mean she's she's got all of the power um she fights like somebody who who we need to talk about is one of the elite in the sport. Uh, but I like I said before, I, I think Leslie Smith was probably the best first matchup they could give her. You know, she wasn't going to make one thirty-five her first time out, so they gave her this one forty matchup. It made no sense for somebody like Holm, Rousey or Tate to go to one forty because they're challengers at one thirty-five. So you know, who can you entice to go up t- five pounds? You know, you got to find somebody who's a little bit further down the line. So why not somebody who boxes well and can go up the line? Leslie Leslie Smith. Smith. And she volunteered for it. So props to her. And she's such a good name for that, too. You know, she, she is not at the top of the 135 pack right now, but she knows that if she goes and decimates Cyborg with her boxing or does, you know, lands the unthinkable punch. She's right in the mix at 135. Then
1: yeah, I also have to say, and it's interesting because we're about to break down um, Mauricio Shogun Hua, and I am reminded of when he came over from Pride and he lost to Forrest Griffin. You can never discount the fact that sometimes a star comes into the UFC and you think they're just going to murder everyone. And don't get me wrong, I know Cyborg's going to murder her, but you know if she if it takes three rounds to do it, if Leslie Smith you know makes a fight out of it, I'm not going to be shocked. There might be some first UFC fight jitter from cyborg i don't know it's mma crazy shit happens yeah crazy shit happens in mma and like i said Leslie Smith is a great
0: style matchup for this fight,
1: um, and if you want the Vegas odds on it, negative a thousand. I, I was just going to say I shouldn't even say I, I could just she's make them a up. A grand, yeah. She's minus 1900 in 1,900? Some, in some sports books, as low as minus twelve hundred. Leslie Smith, you could get at a plus one thousand dog. So I will say, uh,
0: just from from a you know devil's advocate standpoint, plus one thousand dog. That's 10 to 1 odds, ladies and gentlemen. You Might know, as well throw I mean, 20 bucks I mean, if that. you got 20 bucks sitting in your pocket burning in a hole, that's $200 tomorrow if Leslie
1: Smith pulls that one off. She could trip and maybe just hit Cyborg with, like, an <laughs> elbow, and she gets cut open, and then the doctors stop it. Yeah, and you win I, I would say,
0: again, I think Leslie Smith has some tools that could win her that fight, and it's at least interesting... Uh, at
1: 10 to 1 all right moving on um and this is kind of the theme of the night you have brazilian legends and this one a Curitiba product himself uh fighting young up-and-comers i love this style of matchmaking it's you know as far as matchmaking goes i've said it before i think 198 is a more exciting uh you know collection awesome. of fights than ufc 200 but anyway you have mauricio shogun hua the legend fighting Corey Beeston, 25-8 Anderson. Uh, It used to be 24-7. I think he upped himself the extra day, the extra hour after a win. Pretty funny. Uh, Hua has not looked the same. He's one and two in his last three. He just beat uh, Antonio Rogerio Nogueira back at UFC 190, which was Rousey versus Correa. So that was August of 2015. Before that, he lost to Ovin St. Preux via TKO, and before that, lost to Dan Henderson via TKO. Going back to March of 2014, again, not the same Hua we grew up to know and love in his prime. Corey Beeston, 24, sorry, 25, eight Anderson, uh, awful nickname, it is, is coming off a unanimous decision win over tom lawler unanimous decision win over fabio maldonado and a unanimous decision win over jan blankowitz he's had moments of looking great sometimes i feel like he doesn't push the pedal to the metal um but he is three and oh or coming off a three-fight win streak a loss to gian volante via tko punches in april of 2015 before that who you got
0: i, I think i'm gonna go cory anderson me uh, too yeah shogun just hasn't looked right um and the thing about cory anderson too is he can grapple you up and he can put the pressure on. And when he does put that pressure on, I mean, he's pretty suffocating. He's, he's as interesting as a, a prospect as we have it 205 right now. Because we don't really have much if you don't count. Nikita Krylov Nik- fought this weekend,
1: looked okay. Nikita Krylov, Misha Serkinov. Misha Serkinov and Corey Anderson.
0: And Corey Anderson are really the three you talk about as being ones that can crack the top there. I went over Shogun to do a big number for him. And, you know, I think if he comes in with the mentality, I'm going to put him on the cage and I'm going to suck his legs out from underneath him and just beat him up that way, I don't think he's going to have any trouble.
1: Yeah, I have to say, I just outlined a path for where, you know, I think Silva's the better fighter, but I could see Uriah Hall just having his night and then he comes back and loses his next fight. Be so Uriah Hall of him, am I right? I can also see Mauricio Shogun Hua in front of the hometown uh, having a a win and we all start to feel good about Shogun again. We'll see him again in three months and he'll get knocked out, you know. Yeah, I
0: I could see that too. And 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 certainly, you know, while I'm picking Corey Anderson here, he could be, you know, just absolutely energized by the crowd, and Shogun could come out, throw a couple of those mean punches he throws, and put Corey Anderson out.
1: Uh, Corey Anderson, though, is the minus two forty favorite, and Shogun the plus two hundred dog in most sports books, and very Inter- interesting play there. Too. Yeah, very cool that they are kicking off the pay per view, and we will now uh, take a break for a second, and we come back, we will break down the prelims. And we will start with maybe the most exciting fight on the card. Yeah, um, you're not going to want to miss the breakdown of that. No, you won't. Uh, but before that, we're going to check in with Jason Sago, the Canadian product who will be fighting at UFC Fight Night 89 in June. That is a card headlined by Rory McDonald versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Sago will be fighting Leandro Silva. He is a 155-pound uh, prospect, 11-2 in the U- uh, in MMA And we got a chance to catch up with them. This interview, however, is brought to you by New England Submission Fighting, mine and Gumby's home MMA gym. New England Submission Fighting is a mixed martial arts gym in western Massachusetts, the oldest MMA gym in Massachusetts. Dates back to 1993. Classes six days a week, stand-up striking, gi, gi no-gi jiu-jitsu, which is the specialty, no-gi grappling. You could check them out, amherstmma.com. That's A-M-H-E-R-S stmma.com. we highly recommend it come on down sometime if you're in the western mass area tell them dave and gumby sent you you'll be treated uh, with a hug a smile and a choke new england submission fighting brings you our interview with jason sago This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here
0: with my co-host Dave Chermante, and we are here talking with UFC 155-pound veteran Jason Sago. Jason Sago fights on the UFC Ottawa card against Leandro Silva. Uh, Jason, what does it mean to uh, for you to fight so close to home on such a large stage?
2: I'm super excited to be fighting in Ottawa. I mean, the stadium, 10,000 seats, sold out in less than I think it was like 45 minutes. So. It's going to be an awesome card, and uh, we got a great headliner, too. I've got Stephen, uh, Stephen Thompson versus Roy McDonald, so I'm looking forward to that fight as well. And I think it's just going to be a, a, a wicked night. We're going to have lots of uh, friends, family, and fans there.
0: Yeah, and that that's certainly awesome, but you are certainly no stranger to uh, big-name cards either. Uh, your last fight, which was a very impressive win, came on the McGregor-Diaz fight. Was that something you got a chance to take into or uh, be a part of yeah, that environment? Yeah.
2: That was an awesome life experience because I've always kind of been a fan of McGregor. And then uh, when I showed up to the MGM Grand, I was like, oh, like who gets paired with uh, McGregor in the locker room? It's just him and I and, uh, sharing the locker room. So that was really cool just being a part of that, watching him warm up and just being it uh, so close, you know, less than five feet away.
1: Well, we're big fans of McGregor, too. You mentioned you are as well, Um, and we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't ask you, where do you stand on this whole conflict? Um, You know, obviously both sides have a point with McGregor not wanting to fly in and do the press conference. He's done so much press in the past. But, uh, you know, obviously there's also the side that everyone's asked to do, a little bit of press. What what was your takeaway on this whole uh, kerfuffle?
2: (laughs) I think that basically in your in your contract, if the UFC is running a, a promotional event, that you actually have to do it. So it's actually in the, the contract that he signed for, and uh, I feel that as a fighter, you know, he's no different than anyone else he still has to go to the press obligations you know like he it's his responsibility to uh help promote the the fight he doesn't just get paid to fight he also gets paid to promote the fight as well so any uh you know big media conferences that they have whether it's like new york or in vegas i feel that if the other fighters are showing up to them like he's got to show up too you know it's just because he is the most popular fighter doesn't mean he gets to to skip out on those
0: Yeah, and that's a really good point, too, and a a hell of a, a good answer. Um, let's switch it back to you too. Cause obviously we didn't start this interview to, to talk about other fighters. So, um, <laughs> Hey, so you have a very impressive finish rate, you know, hundred percent finishes you're facing Leandro Silva, who has never been finished in his life. Uh, oh, well. Yeah, d- I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, we don't, we hate to break the news to you. Uh, so obvious, <laughs> obviously that, uh, that hasn't crossed your mind, but thinking about that and the fact that he does have 10 submissions, does that edit the way that you think about your game plan?
2: No, you know, I'm still going to go in there. And now, if I, you know, if I finish him, it's going to be that much more memorable to finish a guy who's a USC vet and he's got a ton of fights, right? He's 18 wins, three losses. So 21 fights. If I go in there and finish him, I'd be that much happier.
0: Yeah, and that would be impressive. Um, so we, we here at uh, Top Turtle MMA are also big Jiu Jitsu fans. Um, uh, and, cool. and obviously your last outing was a, a jiu clinic um i <laughs> i myself am a big fan of rubber guard too so uh oh, do cool. you do you think rubber guard is underutilized in mma or do you think that it, it just comes down to needing the right people
2: i definitely think it's probably underutilized and there's you know meant a lot of different reasons for that sometimes it's people getting stuck into uh the only techniques where they're just used to, you know, controlling the lapel in order to control the posture. Another reason is also it requires a greater amount of flexibility, too. So Some people just don't have that dexterity in the hips, whereas, uh, you know, luckily I do a lot of stretching, a lot of yoga, so I keep uh, my hips open and I'm able to pull off the rubber guard, and uh, luckily in the last fight it uh, served me well.
0: Yeah, it, it certainly did. Now, uh, speaking of just, you know, using rubber guard in MMA, rubber guard obviously kind of brought to light by Eddie Bravo. You train mm-hmm. under a Hoyler Gracie black belt. Um, is there some kind of taboo there? Is it, is it awkward when you pull rubber guard on a, uh, Hoyler Gracie guy? <laughs> That's
2: funny. Now, luckily, you know, I come from a school and, uh, my coach, Paul Abel, He's a black ball owner, Hoyler, and Hoyler uh, does come to our school, but he's also very open-minded. You know, it's basically whatever works, use it. It's not just because, you know, Eddie Bragg will popularize. It doesn't mean that we, we can't use it because, you know, they, they had a competition match against each other before. It's like, if it works for you, use it. So we're always looking at efficiency at, at our school, and if it's an efficient move and it works for you, it's effective, then by all rights, uh, use it. doesn't matter who created it, who created it.
0: Well, yeah, I certainly like that take, and especially if it gets me more rubber guard in the cage. Um, (laughs) So so you talked a little bit about your camp, too. Now, obviously, there are a a bunch of large camps up in the uh, Canada area, and and specifically in Toronto, and those types of areas. Um, Your camp, relatively unknown. You've been living on Prince Edward Island. Uh, Have you ever felt the pressure to move to a bigger camp, or do you feel like the one-on-one attention outweighs those benefits?
2: Yeah, I believe the uh you know, we look at the pros versus cons and kinda of like the one on one attention and the closeness and just for my coach, you know, if we need to bring in guys, we bring in guys. Like for this camp, we're bringing in three different guys. One's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, one's a striking specialist, and one's an all-around great uh, MMA guy who's also a teammate of mine, Lenny Wheeler. We're flying him from out west. So we were bringing in the r- the right people if we need to. So it's not like uh, we're limited, even though we are a smaller camp. We're able to kind of discuss the strategy, I feel like, on a more in-depth level. And uh, everybody has their-, their input, so it's not like this larger camp where I feel sometimes it can be just, uh, a number you know because there's so many guys training there's so many guys sparring and it's uh, I find sometimes at these camps these big camps there's a lot of ego too guys are almost trying to uh, impress the coach just so they get more attention and it's just not of that at our club
0: yeah, that's that's absolutely awesome. And and you're you're definitely right on that Lenny Wheeler comment too. I saw him fight in a fight in Rhode Island recently, knocked out Matt Bassett, who is a hell of a veteran too. Um so in, in talking about some of those trainings too, so obviously you spend a lot of time at home, they import a lot of people too, but I also know that you've done a lot of uh training elsewhere. You you know, you've you've traveled all over the world training. Um what what was one of the most memorable experiences of you traveling? to you know i mean you list them i've seen them on your website you've listed them there's there's hundreds of places you've gone what were was the most memorable of those places
2: Oh, they all they're all unique you know being like hawaii and india japan um but i guess the one that's kind of you know really stands out to me is thailand you know because i was 21 year old guy didn't know anybody out there went out there on my own and i uh, said so i was just gonna stay for like a month and the next thing you know six months later i'm still in thailand and training every day twice a day and just uh awesome place to meet just other international martial artists and you know even though i'm from a small camp i feel that i've trained with tons and tons of people because at a camp actually the largest camp in the world uh tiger muay thai it's in uh, phuket thailand they constantly have new guests coming in on a weekly basis so I got a lot of experience sparring and training and just talking with different different martial artists when I was out there
1: that's awesome and you did you do some training out in Hawaii with BJ Penn as well did we see that yeah, correctly
2: definitely yeah I was out in Hawaii for about uh, five months training with uh, BJ Penn and uh, his brothers actually I learned uh, quite a bit from his brothers they, they teach the majority of the the classes out there
1: yeah nothing wrong with five months in Hawaii <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, and it was perfect skipping over the Canadian winter, which I didn't mind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do do you have any thoughts on BJ's comeback? Uh, He's scheduled for a fight in June against Dennis Seaver. Were you happy to see him come back, or are you one of those people that maybe, you know, rather just remember him for the greatness that he was?
2: Uh, You know, BJ is a legend in the sport, and I think he'll always be remembered as a legend in the sport, you know, holding uh, two UFC belts at different weight classes and just the caliber of opponents he took on he'll always be a legend and i don't think you know whether he wins or loses the next fight that's not going to change that um i think he just has the desire still to compete and he just he doesn't know how to retire he's always got to come back in there and train and fight so you know it may be his past his prime you know he's not the the bj he was you know like 10 years ago but i still think he has all of the skills that he needs to to take silver out
1: absolutely and we are looking forward to seeing him come back as well actually um so we have been talking to jason sago jason we cannot thank you enough for the time jason fights leandro silva at ufc fight night 89 on june 18th in ontario canada thanks so much jason we hope to catch up with you down the road
2: awesome thanks so much for having me on appreciate it
1: all right there you have it gumby sago yeah. Awesome
0: guy. Uh, love the uh, the breakdown of the jiu-jitsu there, too, especially with the rubber guard stuff as uh, a Hoyler Gracie uh, jiu-jitsu guy. So, uh, but that was kind of funny a little bit, uh, especially because I personally enjoy the rubber guard game, thus
1: the name Gumby. You are big on the rubber guard. Um, All right, so now we will move on to the prelims of 198, which are just as sick as the main card. Maybe sicker. Um, This is the fight I'm actually probably most excited about on the day. You have... Damian Maya taking on Matt Brown, um, favorite fighter of a lot of hardcore MMA nerds. Matt the Immortal Brown is coming off a win over Tim the Dirty Bird Means, guillotine choke in the first round, July of 2015. Lost to Johnny Hendricks before that via decision. That was just a three-round fight and lost to Robbie Lawler via decision. Uh, back in July of 2014, that no was a chance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Five round decision back and forth fight. Really, I actually won a lot of money on that betting that it would go to decision. Uh, but that's neither here nor there right now. So he is one and two in his last three. Maya, on the other hand, has looked like a world beater recently. He's on a four fight win streak. Just beat the crap out of Gunnar Nelson. Uh, just held him down for three rounds. Gunnar Nelson, of course, touted as a uh, great BJJ grappler in MMA, but he was just not on the same level uh, as the all-world Damian Maya when it comes to grappling. Uh, Before that, he... RNC Seed, Rear Naked Choke, uh, choked Neil Magny and beat Ryan LaFleur via unanimous decision. So, uh, Maya pushing for the title here and on the four-fight win streak, who do you got? I, I got Demian Maya.
0: I, I just can't pick against him after what he did to Gunnar Nelson. I mean, we know what a great grappler Gunnar Nelson is, and, and he just got worked. And, and when you think about what Matt Brown—where Matt Brown is probably the weakest— it's probably his defensive grappling, right? Like, he's a great boxer. He's got some good offensive wrestling. Uh, there's no way he's going to try to take it to the ground on Maya. So, if Maya tries to take him down, do you have any
1: confidence that Matt Brown could stop it? No, not against Damian Maya. Damian Maya is on another fucking planet so, for most UFC fighters with grappling. But the question would have to be can Matt Brown
0: keep it from going to the ground? No, and I don't think so. No. So if he can't keep it from going to the ground, then you have to ask yourself, can he get up from underneath Demi and Maya? And, and I think the answer there is no, too. So I mean, like, I, I'm done picking against Demi and Maya. In other words, uh, unless, you know, he's up against somebody with some pretty serious wrestling. I'm going with Demi and Maya and I'm going to go with him in this case, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a safe bet, and you have to also look at the fact that uh, Matt Brown, maybe a, a bugaboo, as they say, uh, has been his submission defense. He has, of his 13 losses, 9 are via submission. and that, That's against, not a good sign when not you're going a, against somebody like that. Not a good sign at all. Um, and uh, if you wanted to you know, be one of those people who bets on a fight, uh, Maya the minus 300 favorite, Brown the plus 235 to as high as two. 50 to 60 dog in some sports books. Um, moving on to this great, great undercard, you have uh, another jiu-jitsu phenom coming out of Brazil, Warley Alves. The 25-year-old prospect is 4-0 in the UFC. Of those four wins, three are via guillotine choke, near and dear to my heart. I think that's. Fucking awesome. That's he, that's uh that's Mr.
0: Tremonti over here's go to move.
1: Um and he is fighting the Sage Killer, Brian Barberina. Uh he Barberina just beat uh Mega Prospect Sage Northcut via weird arm triangle choke. Before that he lost to Chad Laprese. Via unanimous decision, beat Joe Ellenberger via TKO Punch. Brian Barberina, he's plucky. He's a perennial life underdog. He upset the world when he beat Sage Northcutt, and I feel like the UFC is punishing him and is like, hey, you beat our golden boy. Here's Warley Alves. It, kid. it does feel like a punishment,
0: right? Like, if you thought Sage Northcutt made you an underdog, wait until you see Warley Alves. Because, <laughs> I mean, Warley Alves is one of those guys who's. Killer. Who is, Not just a killer, but nobody's talking about him, and I don't know why. Because he's finishing people. He's doing it emphatically, and he's fucking violent. Ten and zero in MMA. And like I said, violent, and not just with the great jujitsu either. His hands are heavy. He tags people. Um, and, and Barbarana's, don't get me wrong, great grappling, you know, you use the word plucky to describe him, not on Alves' level. No. So you're going
1: all Alves all day. Yeah, and I'm, I'm in on Alves big. Minus 550 is Alves, the favorite to Bar- Brian Barbarina you could get as a plus 440 dog, but we will advise against yeah, that. Yeah, stay
0: away from that plus 440. I don't even think four to one is worth it.
1: Can I just say, if we could take a little train down to Hypothetical Village for a second, if Brian Barbarina somehow pulls. Off the upset on Morley, Alves. I'll never, I'll never pick against him again. <laughs> that would be he'll, so he'll awesome. be my new Ben Rothwell because <laughs> I picked against Ben Rothwell too many times. MMA Lab prospect, yeah. um, we like the, we like the lab. Yeah. All right, moving on. You have uh, Tiago Santos. Santos will be fighting Nate the Great Marco Markhart. Santos is on a three-fight win streak. Beat Andiés via TKO. Beat Steve Bosa via the KO head kick, the nasty head kick, if you remember yeah, that. Yeah, that was painful. <laughs> somewhat scary. And beat Elias Theodoro, who's no slouch, via unanimous decision. Markhart, the veteran at this point. Um, you know, some people were actually calling for Hart to uh, retire recently. Um, yeah, he had had a couple of rough fights in there for a bit. Yeah, I mean, what, well, let me ask you this. You know, we never like to say a guy should retire. Mm. Um, Mark Hart, of course, is, uh, you know, he's, uh, A former GSP training partner, someone who was thought of as a future title contender back in the day, and fallen somewhat on hard times. But you know what? He just beat C.B. Dalloway via KO punch, but lost to uh, Kevin Gastelum via TKO before that, and a unanimous decision loss to Brad Tavares, who's a tough fella, Uh, so he's 1-2 and in his last three. But where do you stand on Nate Markhart? Were you one of the people pushing for him to be retired because he had some scary losses there? Yeah, he had he does have some scary losses, and it almost seems like they're setting him up for another one here. I mean,
0: Thiago Santos, he, those knockouts have been some of the most vicious ones I've seen on record. I, I mean, hate like,
1: to see it happen to Markhart.
0: Yeah, and I, I do like Nate Markhart a lot. I mean, he's he's a guy who has been around forever he's a great guy he's, you know everybody loves him but th- this has got the makings of something bad um and you know he's he proved me wrong by beating dalloway but I, I don't think he's going to prove me wrong here. He's got to go into Santos's village, and that's, I mean, not a good, good sign. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Santos, the minus 350. Favorite, Markhart. You could get it about a plus 290, plus 300 dog if you are a big Nate Markhart fan, but Gumby does not recommend it. I, I don't recommend it at all. Now, here's another fight that is just so fucking exciting, and I cannot believe it's actually on the undercard. I don't, I didn't this even, is my favorite fight on the card. I didn't even realize it was on this, this show, and I'm just so excited about it. You have John Hands of Stone Lineker um, fighting Rob Font, the Massachusetts product. I've uh, nominated him to have the nickname Bold, Rob Bold Font. No one seems to listen you, you, to me. You tried
0: Helvetica, too, I I think. thought that would be cool, too. <laughs> Helvetica.
1: All right, so John Lineker, of course, is coming off a guillotine choke in the first round over Francisco Rivera, beat Uncle Creepy before that, and beat Aptek Otsiklik via TKO in the third <laughs> round before that, a three-fight win streak, um, his last loss coming to Ali Bagatinov back in February of 2014. Lineker, it should also be noted, This is now fi- he's now fighting at 135, used to be a flyweight product, had trouble Want to know at 35? Weight. What's that? Is he 1-0 yes, and at 1-0 at, one, at 35. Look good. No problems with the weight cut. People were very excited about I mean, the 135-pound division has quickly become really fucking exciting. Font, on the other hand, is 2-0 in the UFC. He made his debut at UFC 175. Machido uh, Weidman beat George Roop in the first round with a nasty KO. Uh, came back two years later, January of 2016, earlier this year, at Dillashaw Cruz, beat Joey Gomez with a TKO in the second round. Font has like nothing short of awesome who you got here so font is untested I mean let's
0: let's just get that out of the way to start I mean like Joey Gomez uh and George Roop now George Roop was on the tail end of his career there they, I'm pretty sure they released him after that loss uh I mean he's still fighting just outside of the UFC Joey Gomez took the fight on short notice I mean he's basically blasted two people who are barely in the UFC but he looked damn good doing it, right? He's so fast. And, uh, th- I mean, that's really what Lineker is known for is how fast and heavy he throws. So this is a perfect matchup to test whether or not Font's for real. And, and you know, hey, maybe I'm being a little bit of a homer here, uh, being from Massachusetts myself. But I'm going with Font on this one. I think. Boom! I think Font's got the, all the tools to upset him here. He is exactly what... John Lineker doesn't want to face somebody who's just as fast and just as dangerous as him and isn't going to try to fight him in a grappling match and isn't going to try to wrestle him. You know, he wants to fight somebody who wants to try to wrestle him, and when he does, he's going to shut him down and punch him in the face.
1: This is a guy who's going to punch him in the face back. I'm going Font, too. I think he's the longer fighter of the two. He definitely fights longer. Yeah, so I uh, I just like his chances with the reach over John Lineker, but you know what? Hey, his name is uh, Hands of Stone for a reason, and Lineker packs some power in those tiny fists of his, even at 135. Great fight. It's going to be fun to watch. And that should kick off the FS1 prelims. Yeah, um, don't miss that one. So, ah, oh man, I just I can't get over how... F- fucking good this card is and, and
0: even we're, we're about to get to the fight pass prelims and the fight pass prelims are sick
1: yeah i guess you could call this the main event of the fight pass prelims and that would be patrick cummins taking on little nog uh i won't go into their records because you know what they're on the fight pass prelims, so we'll do this lightning round style gumby cummins the wrestler little nog uh hasn't had a you know a strong go of it here recently who are you thinking on this one you
0: know i've never been a little nog fan so to speak you know i've always thought big nog was definitely the the brighter star the here. superior Nog. yeah and it, i don't know he, every single time little nog underwhelms me and it started when he he lost his ufc debut well technically he won it but i had him losing it to jason brill's Uh, who wasn't a killer, so to speak. So um, I'm going to go with Cummins. I think Cummins takes him down and beats him up,
1: ground-and-pound style. I bet you even finishes him. I'll take Cummins' finish. Yeah, I'm with you right there. I think Cummins is just going to grind this one out via the wrestling, and I wouldn't mind if we never see Little Nog again. Yeah, and and it's harsh to say that, but it's it's also true. Hey, it is what it is. The fight business can be a mean and nasty place. You move on, and you have another exciting fight. Yancy Medeiros taking on Francisco Trinaldo. Yeah, I'd love Francisco Trinaldo.
0: I mean, he's a guy who beat Ross Pearson. Um, when I actually started doing the uh, prelim breakout star on MMA-manifesto.com, which I'm up to doing, I, I believe I've done like 130 of them at this point. Um, the very first one I ever did was I broke down Francisco Trinaldo's uh, chances on the prelims. And, and, you know, he just hasn't gone away. He's been doing it. For a really long time And he's on a nice little win streak right now I think he out wrestles uh, Medeiros uh, He's got that that submission game But he's also got some power in his fists um, I'll go with, with Trinaldo on this one Masarum Dumba
1: yeah, and it has to be said, too, Trinaldo is on a uh, a five-fight win streak in yeah, the UFC. There's an underrated win streak, eh? Seriously. Is Yancy Medeiros the guy to stop it? Gumby doesn't I, think so. I don't think so. Uh, moving on, you have Sergio Marais against Luan Chagas. Did I say that right? Yeah, I dare Sha- you to tell Sha- us something
0: Chagas so. He took that fight on short notice. He's a decent prospect. But Sergio Moraes, again, super underrated Brazilian. I want to say he's on like a two or three fight win streak. We can get the non-existent intern on that one. But he is a guy who's looked very impressive as of late. You got to imagine going in against a short notice opponent. This is his fight to win, um, especially fighting at home. Um, You know, I I can't really tell you much about Changas. I know that he took this fight like two days ago.
1: Um, and I, I can't imagine it goes all that well for him. Yeah, Morais is riding a four fight win streak, including uh, a TKO win in his last fight over Omar Akmedov. So that's a five
0: fight win streak on the the fight pass prelims, followed by a four fight win streak on the prelims
1: and I know you're about to tell us about a 3 fight win streak on the prelims. Renato carnero is fighting Zubara to Tuka- say to Kugov. Takugov. Uh
0: and Takugov is on a 3 fight win streak. He's 3 and 0 in the UFC, which is crazy to me. Um I actually don't don't know which one I want to pick in this one because Takugov has looked good. Uh he he's got the takedown skills in order to take him down, but um the Brazilian, in this case, super good jiu-jitsu. Um, Canaro, def- Canaro, that is. Yeah, Canaro's got super good jujitsu. jitsu uh, he, he could definitely submit him from the ground, but you're going to have to imagine he's going to do it from his back. Yeah. Um, I'd probably go with
1: Takuhu Goff. Uh, and it's worth noting that Canaro's UFC debut, 1-0 in the UFC, uh, was back in December of 2014, so we didn't see him in all of 2015. It's been a year and a half, but he got a rear naked choke over Tom Ninimaki. Yeah, Todd Ninimaki, too, is an Abu
0: Dhabi uh, grappler. He's He's been featured twice in Abu Dhabi. So the fact that he submitted Ninimaki, uh definitely shows that he certainly got some Pretty legitimate ground skills, like I said.
1: So it's a pretty decent prospect-v-prospect matchup. And Warrior, as he is known, his nickname, Tukahov, got to kugov it, coming off the win over philippe nova a split decision win but three and oh in the ufc uh you know i was very impressed with what i saw of him i'll probably go with the warrior myself but if you want to tell me the brazilian wins i mean he, he's gonna have to dig th- into his submission bag in order to do it all right well that has been our breakdown of ufc 198 it's an awesome awesome card um i didn't give you the odds so i'll do it quickly now uh, little nog is a plus two ten dog to Cummins, the minus two fifty favorite. Stay away from that one. Trinaldo is the minus two twenty five favorite to Medeiros, the one eighty
0: five dog. It's interesting that uh, Trinaldo's that close. Get in on that.
1: Uh, Luis Chagas is the plus three forty five dog. To Would, s- wouldn't tw-
0: touch it with a ten foot pole. Which is Sergio
1: Moraes, the minus four hundred favorite, and then uh, Renato Massiano is a minus one. Uh, sorry, a plus one sixty dog to Warrior being a a minus 200 favorite. Definitely worth a play at
0: plus 160 if you're interested in making a little uh, parlay out of it.
1: All right, well we can't thank you enough for putting us in your eardrums, listening to us babble and babble about MMA. I hope you enjoyed the show. We sure as hell enjoy bringing it to you. We thank our sponsor, Sisu Mouthguard. We thank you for getting us in your eardrums. You can catch us on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes. Email us, topturtlemma at gmail.com. Give the show a follow, at topturtlemma on Twitter. We will be back next week breaking down UFC 198 and talking about all the latest happenings in the crazy world of MMA. I am David Tremonti, and I was of course joined by Daniel gumby Reelan. Thanks for listening. We will choke you later.